0: It wasn't very long ago that a lung cancer diagnosis left patients with very few options for treatment. Chemotherapy, radiation, maybe surgery were the only treatments. And the five-year survival rates were just terrible. But today, just a few years later, so much has changed. I'm Diane Mulligan. And I'm Sarah Beatty.
1: Biomarker testing is nothing short of a revolution in lung cancer treatments. And today we're talking to someone who had a part in discovering the first lung cancer biomarker, which gives people living with EGFR lung cancer much better treatment options.
2: And So I think it's a very satisfying aspect of being both a researcher and a clinician to try to figure out the best treatment for for not a thousand patients, Not everybody, but that one person who's sitting in front of you, you know, it's my job to to figure out the best treatment for them.
0: Lung cancer is a tough topic. It's a disease that affects patients, families, friends, co-workers. But first, it's a disease that affects people. The hope with answers living with lung cancer podcast brings you stories about people living, truly living with lung cancer. The researchers dedicated to finding new breakthrough treatments and others who are working to bring hope into the lung cancer experience. Dr. David Carbone is a lung cancer clinician, researcher, and specialist At The Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. He's been working on developing treatments for lung cancer for years and played an important role in discovering the first
1: targeted therapy aimed at the EGFR biomarker. Today on the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast, we have the amazing opportunity to learn more about the EGFR biomarker from Dr. Carbone, information that Everyone whose life is affected by EGFR should know. Dr. Carbone, we are talking about the EGFR biomarker today. And at a really, really basic level to get started, can you explain what a biomarker is?
2: So you you can understand that there might be a a variety of uh, definitions of a biomarker. But fundamentally, I think a biomarker is some feature of a tumor or a patient that you can measure that helps guide what you do or how you treat that patient. And EGFR is a great example of a biomarker that's of tremendous utility.
1: So we're going to get into some of that today. Um, again, at a you know, fairly um, approachable level. Does EGFR lung cancer affect some populations differently than others?
2: Well, it's certainly more frequent in some populations than others. So in Asia and some Asian countries, the frequency of this uh, biomarker is in the 50 or 60% range, whereas in in, uh, Spain, it's 2 or 3 or 5%. So it definitely varies uh, from one population to another, but the bottom line is that if, if you have an EGFR mutation and you're African-American, you, uh, the implications for your treatment are really the same. Uh, if you're Japanese, uh, it just uh, the frequency of finding that alteration is different.
1: Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. So one of the things that LCFA works on, one of the LCFA's goals is making sure that everyone has access to comprehensive biomarker testing. Can you give us an idea of what comprehensive biomarker testing gives you as a doctor and the patient when it comes to someone with EGFR who's gotten that information back that they have EGFR lung cancer?
2: Yeah, so again... The definition of comprehensive can vary um, from uh, one situation to another, but right now there's um, maybe 10 or 12 different things that you can measure about a tumor that dramatically affect the type of uh, treatment uh, you choose for that patient. And historically people have said, well, you know, these two are more frequent than the others, so we'll only measure these two. And if they're negative, then we'll measure another one. But really, the, it's very clear to me that for optimal patient care and, and um, getting the right treatment to the right patient in a, in a, as rapidly as possible, it's very important to measure for an entire panel of these markers all at the same time. And before any treatment decision is made, because, as I said, it radically changes the best treatment options for that patient uh, if you find one of these markers.
1: Mm, That's a really good thing for people to understand. So. I also understand that EGFR is um, one of those biomarkers where a liquid biopsy, which sounds really complicated, but it's really just a blood test, like we're all used to getting in our, you know, physical, A standard blood test is generally accurate and useful in terms of treatment. What can a liquid biopsy or one of these blood tests tell you about a patient's lung cancer?
2: Well, the EGFR is an example of a biomarker that's tested in the DNA of the tumor. And historically, you've needed a sample of the tumor in order to to test for that biomarker uh, in the tumor DNA. But now this blood biopsy technology has really developed to a pretty advanced state so that these biomarkers, which are mutations or alterations in the DNA in the tumor, can actually be measured if tiny amounts of them get into the peripheral blood, and you can measure it in the blood. And if you find this specific alteration in EGFR in the blood, then then it is safe to act on that uh, uh, information and choose the EGFR appropriate treatment for that patient and that's extremely important because the um, very often we get patients who are have tiny biopsies that aren't big enough for genetic analysis or or they um, have some urgency that they need to get treated right away and you don't want to schedule a tissue biopsy that, that's adequate for tissue testing um, If you get a positive in a a blood biopsy, just from a blood sample, then that's sufficient to act upon, like I said. The problem with blood biopsies is it's not quite as sensitive as a tissue analysis. So uh, there are a significant number of patients whose tumors truly have this EGFR biomarker that the blood analysis does not pick up. And so, in general, I don't rely only on a negative blood biopsy. If the blood biopsy doesn't show anything, then I will uh, look with a tissue biopsy because, it, as I said, it makes such a huge difference to the way you manage patients. It really is tragic if you miss even one patient. If you miss this finding in even one patient and choose the wrong treatment for them, you're really doing them a disservice. So we try to look very hard for these markers.
1: Hmm. when you start to look at the EGFR biomarker um, things get really complicated very very quickly um, you know we talk about EGFR and AOK and and ROS1 and a couple others all and you these think,
2: acronyms you get all these acronyms like the military think, or the government right,
1: or right and you think oh golly like it's just that complicated well then you start to look at EGFR and now there's Exxon 18 19
2: exon 20 19, 21 exon 20 right point mutations, deletions like, right
1: good golly i mean this just gets so complicated so can you help us understand what these those are called subtypes or commutations like what information are is that exon string of numbers giving right. us
2: right well that that's a ans- that's a question with a long answer and a short answer uh, but basically Uh, As I said, EGFR, the biomarker EGFR is a mutation in the DNA that turns on the gene called epidermal growth factor receptor. And it turns out that there's many different ways the DNA can be altered in order to turn that uh, gene on. The two most common ones are called uh, exon 19 and uh, deletion and L85R, uh, L858R, uh, which is an exon 21 mutation. And you know, I have a PhD in genetics, and I don't expect patients to have a PhD in genetics or most doctors to have one. But the, the letters, the, the description that I just used, describes exactly the alteration in the DNA that's associated with this activation. So the, the most common is this exon 19 deletion, and the gene is divided up into pieces called exons. And so there's a piece of the gene that's exon 19, and the, that alteration is a deletion of usually five amino acids in that protein and that's the deletion 19 whereas the most com- second most common mutation is L858R which is a point mutation of leucine which is an L at position 858 to an arginine which is designated as an R now patients don't really don't really need to understand all the the details of this but it's extremely important for their physicians to because you can't just say there's a mutation in EGFR and that determines the treatment. Um, some of these mutations, uh, the, the less common ones typically, have a totally different sense of drug sensitivity pattern and, and should you should use completely different drugs than the more common ones. So it is important to know not just that your tumor has an EGFR mutation, but ex- precisely which alteration The tumors DNA has, and that makes a difference as well.
1: So I want to stop just for a a tiny moment here and talk about because um I mean that was so much information. And I talked to a doctor a couple of weeks ago who um, and she's a hospitalist, a generalist who works on the oncology ward now. And she says the number of people that I see with lung cancer who've never had. Biomarker testing um, is really, really frustrating. Um, and so I just want to, at this point, make sure for anybody who's listening for the first time, um, everything that you have talked about is um, what you can and should expect a thoracic oncologist to be able to um, ask those questions and then translate those answers. Is that right?
2: Well, certainly a thoracic oncologist. So at, at my institution, we have 10 doctors, 10 medical oncologists who do nothing but lung ca- treat lung cancer patients. And they're expert at all of these aspects. And, you know, I have full confidence that they do the right thing when it comes to biomarker testing. But in the community, when you have a solo practitioner who treats every kind of cancer, Um, breast cancer, colon cancer, sometimes even leukemias and lymphomas, and they have to keep up to date on all those uh, different cancer types. It's extremely hard and very daunting to know uh, all the details that are now important for treating a lung cancer patient. So part of the uh, mission of foundations like yours is really to empower patients to uh, at least understand that their tumor needs to be tested for these things and, and ask their doctor about them. These are very well spelled out in the in the oncology guidelines, the NCCN guidelines for the basic um, basic biomarker testing that should be done. Um, and potentially if they're not confident that the right thing is being done to, to get a second opinion. And it is really important To get the right treatment first. Uh, So, a doctor in the community may say, uh, fine, you can get a second opinion, but I'm going to give you a dose of chemotherapy just because lung cancer is a bad disease. And that's generally a bad decision Mm -hmm. um, because if you start, if you get a dose of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, which is uh, more typical. That can increase the risk, your risk of complications from uh, the. if you end up having a, an EGFR mutation, for example. It also costs a lot of money mm-hmm. and, and it can delay starting the right treatment. And it also eliminates the possibility of you uh, participating in a first line clinical trial. So don't, don't start a random treatment just because it's available, you know, start the right treatment after the right testing.
1: Well, let's talk about the right treatment for just a second. Um, You have mentioned two, and we'll get to both of them, but um, the first one is a a targeted therapy. What targeted therapies, and maybe you can kind of explain what a targeted therapy is, what uh, targeted therapies are available to someone with EGFR and its various subtypes?
2: Well, there are many. Um, the The two most common mutations are sensitive to um, most of them, um, but the the most current generation targeted therapy for EGFR muta- for the common EGFR mutations is uh, osimertinib, and it's been developed as a selective inhibitor of just the mutant form of this protein and not the the normal form, since every cell in your body has the gene and many other cells, particularly skin and gut, have uh, actually expressed the protein as well. So it's been found that that drug has a very good efficacy uh, and a low toxicity and is the most commonly prescribed uh, first-line treatment. It also has the advantage of having good brain penetration. These types of tumors uh, often spread to the brain and the the osomertinib can prevent the development of brain metastases or even treat the ones uh, that are found at diagnosis. Some of the other mutations, as I said, though, are better targeted with other drugs.
1: So, is it right to say that these targeted therapies are um, designed to work with a really specific?
2: I didn't define the, I didn't uh, define targeted therapies for you, did I? So, uh, the way we refer to targeted therapies is is a therapy that targets one of these specific alterations that we've been talking about. So the EGFR gene is a gene that controls the growth of many cells in your body, and that's how it was discovered. And um, the cancers have found that if they can switch this gene on in an abnormal way, unregulated way, that that causes the cancer to grow in an abnormal, unregulated way. And in most tumors with this alteration, really the EGFR gene alteration is the primary driver of that cancer's growth, and that's why we call these alterations driver alterations or driver mutations. Well, that's fortunate if you only have one Achilles heel or one feature of a cancer that's driving it, then if you're smart, and science has found that there are specific drugs that can uh, turn that specific gene off, they can make the drug target that gene specifically, and turn off the alteration that was turned on by the mutation. And so what we find is that we can give these drugs, which are usually oral drugs, that they turn off this uh, alteration specifically in the cancer cells. And and sometimes, almost like magic, the cancer melts away, and, and the patients often have no side effects at all. It's really dramatic uh, efficacy that we see when you have a known driver, and you have a drug that targets that driver.
1: That's amazing. So one of the other things, and you just mentioned it a moment ago, um, that we hear about a lot is immunotherapy. And sometimes they're in combination, but, but let's talk sort of isolated uh, here about immunotherapy. And that's the idea of kind of harnessing the body's own um, immune system to fight lung cancer. So is is immunotherapy effective for someone with the EGFR mutation?
2: Um, in general, not. Um, now, is it, does that mean that we never use it? Uh, no, uh, there are situations where we use immunotherapy with virtually every type of lung cancer. But it is the wrong uh, treatment as a first treatment for EGFR mutated lung cancer. Um, uh, the response rate is extremely low for immunotherapy and very high for targeted therapy. And uh, the uh, with the modern targeted therapy drugs, it, it's definitely the wrong thing to start with. Now, there are regimens that, in, that include immunotherapy in you know, after the tumor becomes resistant to targeted therapies, but it's, it's definitely the wrong thing to do to start with immunotherapy. If you have a EGFR mutated mutated tumor.
1: Hmm. That's good. Good for people to know. So you mentioned a little bit ago um, that um, targeted therapy generally is a pill, So, um, you know, that's fairly easy to take, you know, you can take it at home. You don't have to go to like an infusion center. It's not a clinical setting to take this medication. Um, And in general, is it right to say that chemo, that that a targeted therapy doesn't have the kind of side effects um, that something like a chemo or radiation might, or is it not right to say, oh gosh, it doesn't have any side effects?
2: These are all powerful medicines designed to treat a life-threatening disease. And so I think it's safe to say all of the treatments for lung cancer have some potential for side effects, including even the best targeted therapies. Um, And many people take chemotherapy with very tolerable, uh, minimal side effects as well. But uh, I think it's safe to say that most people who take targeted therapy for EGFR mutated lung cancer have very few side effects that are very tolerable and primarily uh, a mild skin rash though many people have none or slightly looser bowels um, than normal uh, that is readily controlled uh, and the the thing with side effects is it's very dependent on the type of treatment. So the side effects for immunotherapy are really totally different than the side effects for chemo, totally different from the side effects of uh, targeted therapies, and even different targeted therapies have different side effects. So uh, every time a patient starts on these, the doctor and the nurse should should really explain to them, you know, what they might expect and and how to deal with it.
1: Mm. You mentioned a little bit ago um, clinical trials, um, participating in a clinical trial, and um, I wonder if you can talk through why someone living with um, EGFR lung cancer might participate in a clinical trial, and maybe you could even expand on it to say when might they participate in a clinical trial.
2: Well, even though cancer treatment has advanced dramatically since I've In the 35 years since I've been treating lung cancer patients. You know, the treatments we have are good, but they're far from perfect. Uh, With the modern drugs for EGFR targeted therapies, we get response rates that are super high. And 80-90% of patients have, have substantial benefit from these drugs, but not everyone. And the these drugs are generally not curative so that when you treat a patient with EGFR mutant lung cancer with osomertinib, they can have a dramatic response that can last years. But in general, I tell patients, if you live long enough, the cancer will become resistant to this drug and we'll have to look for a plan B. And so even though we've come a long way, I think that there's some very exciting research that's going on now, for example, to make the depth and duration of the efficacy of these targeted agents better uh, from the very beginning of treatment. And so we have a trial that we now are treating patients on combining osimertinib with a a drug that targets beta-catenin, which is a a resistance pathway. And so... um, I think that's a worthwhile trial to be in, enrolled in, but also when the tumor becomes resistant, there are trials trying different drug combinations uh, and uh, alternative drugs uh, to treat uh, patients whose tumors have become resistant to first-line therapies. So I, I tell patients that clinical trials are uh, tomorrow's drugs available today tomorrow's standard of care available now as part of a clinical trial. And, and um, with these imperfect treatments, I think it's very reasonable to consider clinical trials at, at every stage in, in your cancer journey.
1: You know, it's so um, wonderful these days is that you talk about a plan B, but people are living long enough at this point, thanks to these C wonderful- C and
2: e and E and F. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> which is just, I mean, that's just amazing. And I, you know, it's such a serious topic and there's so much serious work that does need to happen. But I think every now and again, it's kind of nice to think, my gosh, C and D and E and F and whatever, um, because there are people living with it. And, and thanks to this this kind of research-
2: Well, even beyond uh, drugs or trials, we now uh, often uh, treat patients what we call beyond progression. So a patient will be on the drug, they'll have 20 sites of disease, all of them will shrink nicely, but then one will grow. And uh, now we can use targeted radiation, for example, or even surgery to treat that one uh, escaping tumor. And then continue the drug, and and sometimes for years beyond that, uh, are able to control the the general disease. So we've we've learned and not only you know, to switch to different therapies, but to, how to better manage a patient on a, on their first line therapy.
1: Mm, that's amazing. So we've kind of talked about that a little bit here. Um, one thing, and you just mentioned this, that's, that is very common in lung cancer is that um, it, with the right treatment, can be controlled for a while, but it has a really nasty tendency to um, what's called develop resistance to uh, various treatments, and meaning that that treatment quits working and the cancer starts growing again. Right. What does this mean? What does that information mean for someone who is um, living with EGFR? Does that happen more or less often with somebody with EGFR lung cancer?
2: You know, they all, all of the targeted therapies eventually lose efficacy and the tumor becomes resistant. And for a given patient, it, it could be three months, it could be three years, it could be 10 years um, before the tumor becomes resistant. Um, So it's difficult to say in a given patient. There are what we call co-mutations that can alter that course. So if a patient's tumor has the EGFR mutation and another gene called P53, they tend to have a shorter duration of efficacy than if they don't have the P53. But um, nobody can predict what will happen for a particular patient And that's why we often do another genetic analysis when when the tumor starts to grow again in a multifocal way, because sometimes we can identify what we call bypass pathways that can be targeted, such as MET, um, or transformation to a different type of cell, which is treated differently, like small cell lung cancer. So often we'll do a biopsy at the time of uh, resistance development to see if we can find a smart plan B.
1: Gotcha. Well, and it's so interesting because that's kind of my next question is that, um, and this is my rough understanding. So I hope you can um, illuminate me here. EGFR has kind of a tendency to turn into, so EGFR, non-small cell lung cancer, has a tendency to turn into small cell lung cancer. Um, and I wonder if you can give us a little bit of information about that. Do we know why that happens and what does that do? You you just mentioned that, you know, you, you do another biopsy at that point, and then what information do you find and how does that affect the okay. course of treatment?
2: So, um, we know a little bit about that process. Small cell uh, lung cancer is characterized by, uh, mutation of two different genes called p53 and rb and um, it also looks different under a microscope and it's been found that especially if if you have uh, each non-small cell lung cancer that with the egfr uh, mutation but if it also has a p53 and an rb mutation then that tumor uh, tends to escape control from the targeted therapy by by transforming into what looks under a microscope like small cell lung cancer. Now this small cell lung cancer still has all the same mutations. And so to me, it's technically not correct that the tumor becomes resistant because it's small cell. Mm. It becomes resistant because it's resistant to the, the drugs but it looks like small cell under a microscope. And so therefore we treat it like small cell in practice uh, with a chemotherapy regimen and sometimes uh, radiation as well. And and sometimes we continue the the EGFR targeting uh, as well. Um, We certainly, we're not as good at treating these uh, transformations or these resistance mechanisms as we are uh, in treating the initial disease, which is why I personally am focusing on that very first treatment, how to make it more effective and last longer. So we're not chasing resistant tumors, we're we're trying to kill it day one and, and have it not come back, that's my goal.
1: Get it in the first place. You um, you and I have talked a number of times, and you have this incredible um, depth of experience and background. You've been battling this for, for a handful of years.
2: Yeah, more than a handful. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, but I understand that you're one of the researchers who um, discovered EGFR and its importance in treating lung cancer. Can you just from your vantage point as from the beginning of your career where, um, you know, all of this was absolutely cutting edge and there was really only a plan A to now being able to talk about all the information that you're able to act on um, through biomarker testing, um, you know, different treatments, different options, testing again, you know, what, um, how did the, how did the discovery of EGFR come about and how, what's the place of it in, in the sort of history of, you know, treating lung cancer?
2: Well, again, again, that's a a question with a long answer and a short answer, but, but basically um, EGFR, the EGFR pathway was discovered just by a very smart, basic scientist doing basic research on how cells, grew and how they stopped growing. And there's a a guy named Stanley Cohen who found a substance that caused um, rats' eyes to open faster and their teeth to grow faster. And he called it epidermal growth factor. And uh, it was found that when you throw this stuff on cells, they grow faster. And so um, people developed drugs that, that block that receptor but they had no idea that there were activating mutations in EGFR. And so these drugs were applied in clinical trials in unselected patients. And almost uh, all almost none of the patients had any benefit. The tumor just kept growing and it didn't really care about that drug. And then a few patients had dramatic, durable responses. The next scan you do shows an almost complete resolution of the cancer. And, and that tells you that there's something different about that person's tumor compared to the person whose tumor didn't respond. And so it was actually back in 2002 um, that I had a patient that had uh, a dramatic response just in, a, in one of these trials uh, where most people didn't respond, but he had a dramatic and durable response. And, and we decided to look to see if the EGFR gene was structurally different in his tumor. And it turns out it was. And we presented that at the AACR meeting before the papers describing it came out. But it turns out that, that these alterations in the DNA of these, this subset of tumors really is what is a great biomarker for picking patients to use uh, for this targeted therapy. And, and that, that kind of matching of uh, drugs to tumor characteristics or tumor biomarkers really revolutionized the field of lung cancer therapy uh, into one where we tailor the treatment to the tumor characteristics like we've been discussing and, and really has made dramatic differences in patients' lives, taking patients that are near death and, and bringing them back to a normal quality of life, which is something we never saw in the pre-targeted therapy era, where the average survival was four to six months from the time of diagnosis to death. And now we're seeing uh, many years.
1: What is that? I, I wonder what that for a researcher, like you were talking about yourself, what is that aha moment? Like, I would, I wonder like um, so many of us would go, Oh gosh, we have 98 people who aren't responding. We have two that are, that's just an anomaly, but what is it about the researcher, the lung cancer researcher that goes, Ooh, 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 Ooh. What about those two? Let's dig into those two.
2: Yeah. Well, it, when you are a clinician and seeing these patients, you're not standing in front of an audience and trying to, to deal with a thousand patients at once. You have one patient in front of you and your job is to do the best job you can for that one patient. And it doesn't matter if, if you find an alteration that's present in two or five or 10% of people Uh, What matters is whether that patient has it. And if that patient has it, it's 100%. And to me, we have to not only take things from mouse experiments and test them in people, but we have to learn from people about what the best mouse experiments might be. So when I see my patient and they have an unusual response to a drug, the first thing I think is, is there some characteristic of that patient that I could try to figure out that might help, that I might look for in other patients that could help match, match treatments uh, to them and give them better outcomes. And so I think it's a very satisfying aspect of being both a researcher and a clinician to, to see these patients and see the variability between patients and the variability from one person's cancer to another to, and to understand the complexity in the laboratory of what drives a tumor and what makes one tumor different from another and try to match those two and try to figure out the best treatment for, for not a 1,000 patients not everybody, but that one person who's sitting in front of you, you know, with kids at home and and a husband and, and and suddenly been hit with this diagnosis, you know, it's my job to to figure out the best treatment for them.
1: Well, it what it seems like it's just the most impactful, meaningful puzzle solving that that there could be is making those connections and solving these life and death puzzles um, that, that you and many other researchers are doing. And I am so grateful that you've got that kind of mind to do that. Well, work. It,
2: these aren't subtle effects. Like I was saying, we, we, these are, if you can find that match in a prompt, a period of time and, and implement it, like I said, these people can return to normal quality of life and uh, from, from being in pain and short of breath and, uh, back to normal basically. And, and that is something that we, we try to do with every patient.
1: Well, Dr. Carbone, thank you so much for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Dr. Carbone has such a wonderful way of explaining complex terms so clearly We're grateful to him for his time today. That's Dr. David Carbone of the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center. And you should know he's just one of the amazing lung cancer specialists on LCFA's Scientific Advisory Board. Thanks for listening today. If you're enjoying the Hope with Answers Living
0: with Lung Cancer podcast, consider making a donation to help LCFA produce this resource for patients and anyone seeking answers, hope, and access to updated treatment information, scientific investigation, and clinical trials. Just text LCFA to 41444 to join in this important fight. Make sure to subscribe to the Hope With Answers Living With Lung Cancer podcast. You'll be notified every time a new episode is available. So visit us online at lcfamerica.org where you can find more information about the latest in lung cancer research, new treatments, and more. You can also join the conversation with LCFA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.